On August 23, 1718, two French merchant ships sailed through the warm Atlantic waters towards Bermuda. The French sailors had been at sea for over five months, and they hadn't suffered a single pirate attack. Now they just needed their luck to hold a few days longer until they left the Caribbean. Bermuda was almost within sight. Once the French sailors passed the tiny Caribbean island, they could cross the open ocean for Europe and leave the pirate-infested American waters behind. The sunlight faded and the temperature cooled. It was a peaceful evening. But then, French captain Jean Goupil spotted a ship slicing through the water. It was headed right for them. Captain Goupil strained his eyes for a better look at the ship. Then he relaxed. It was just a tiny Spanish sloop. There was nothing to be worried about. But then, the Spanish sloop pulled up alongside the large French merchant ship. Commanding the sloop was a fearsome, bearded man whose name struck terror into the heart of every merchant on America's eastern seaboard. Blackbeard. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Welcome to Gone, the show where we search for everything missing. Every other Monday, we examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned. From the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke Colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're looking for it. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps the podcast. Today, we will be focusing on the lost treasure of Edward Teach, better known by his nickname, Blackbeard. Treasure hunters and adventurers have been searching for Blackbeard's fabled treasure ever since the pirate's violent demise on November 22, 1718. Now, when we think of a pirate treasure, we tend to imagine chests brimming with gold and jewels. We don't know if Blackbeard had such a chest. He primarily robbed merchant ships of their wine, sugar, cocoa, and slaves. But as the pirate's mythology grew in the 300 years after his death, so too did the rumors that he had hidden away a chest filled with gold. Whether the treasure was a chest of gold or a ship full of valuables, our first theory revolves around the possibility that Blackbeard's treasure sank to the bottom of the ocean, along with his infamous flagship, the Queen Anne's Revenge. Our second theory is that Blackbeard's treasure is somewhere in Bath, the oldest European town in North Carolina. Blackbeard took up residence in Bath in the summer of 1718, just a few months before his death. There was plenty of time for him to find a secret place to hide his treasure. The third theory is that the treasure is somewhere on Ocracoke Island, the site of Blackbeard's climactic last stand against British Lieutenant Robert Maynard. Our fourth theory delves into the myths surrounding the terrifying pirate. According to legend, Blackbeard hid his stolen loot under a walnut tree in Burlington, New Jersey. Our final theory is that there is no treasure. Blackbeard simply spent all of his money before he died. 
But before we begin our hunt for buried treasure, we need to take a deep dive into Blackbeard's action-packed life and his dramatic death. There's a lot of mystery surrounding Blackbeard's early life. We don't even know his real name. It may have been Edward Teach, Edward Thatch, or even Edward Drummond, but none of these names have ever been verified. Since we don't know the pirate's true name, we're going to refer to him by his infamous moniker, Blackbeard. Blackbeard was born sometime around 1680. According to Captain Charles Johnson, who published A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates in 1724, Blackbeard spent his childhood in Bristol, an ancient seaport located in the south of England. It's important to keep in mind that Captain Johnson is not the most reliable source of information. His true identity was never confirmed after his book's 1724 publication, and Charles Johnson was a pen name. Some historians believe that Charles Johnson was really the famous novelist, Daniel Defoe. However, others believe that Captain Johnson was likely a retired pirate. His information on pirates was so accurate that there was a good chance that much of it came from first-hand experience. So we're going to accept Captain Johnson's claim that Blackbeard grew up in Bristol. It would certainly be a fitting childhood home for a future pirate. Bristol was infamous for harboring pirates since the Middle Ages. Blackbeard may have grown up in Redcliffe, a Bristol suburb by the River Avon. By the late 1680s, Bristol had several schools in operation throughout the city. Blackbeard likely learned to read and write at one of these schools. According to Bristolian legend, tragedy struck in 1693 when Blackbeard was just 13. His father died and his mother soon remarried. But Blackbeard's new stepfather was a cruel man who made his life a living hell. He spent the next three years physically abusing and whipping the boy. In 1696, when Blackbeard was 16, he was finally old enough and strong enough to stand up to his stepfather. One evening, Blackbeard defended himself and gave his stepfather a savage beating. 16-year-old Blackbeard knew his stepfather would be out for his blood. If Blackbeard wanted to live, he needed to get out of Bristol. Blackbeard raced down to the docks and found a merchant ship willing to sign him on as a cabin boy. Ship's boys or cabin boys were generally teenagers who did chores and errands for the captain and other sailors. They often carried messages around the ship or helped out in the kitchens. In 1696, the merchant ship set sail with young Blackbeard aboard. He was finally free of Bristol and his terrifying stepfather. A year later, in 1697, Blackbeard arrived in the Caribbean, the place he would soon call home. It's likely that Blackbeard spent the next several years honing his skills as a sailor, but his first taste of battle came in the early 1700s when he took part in Queen Anne's War, or the War for Spanish Succession. After King Charles II of Spain died on November 1, 1700, several European countries began jockeying for control of the Spanish throne. King Charles had made Philip, the grandson of the French King Louis XIV, his heir, and Philip took control of the Spanish throne and its armies in 1700. A year later, in 1701, 
Philip's grandfather, Louis, announced his plan to allow Philip to inherit the French throne as well. This would have led to a combined French-Spanish kingdom. The potential merger of France and Spain posed a major threat to England and Holland, and war quickly broke out between the four countries in 1701. By 1702, the fighting had spread to the American colonies. During Queen Anne's War, Blackbeard and many other British sailors became privateers. These privateers weren't officially soldiers, but they carried letters of marque from the British government, authorizing them to attack and raid the ships of enemy countries. In other words, privateers were essentially legalized pirates. Over the next decade, Blackbeard was able to make a good living off of the gold and valuables he seized from foreign ships in the Caribbean. By the time Queen Anne's War ended in 1713, Blackbeard had grown accustomed to his privateer lifestyle. He didn't want to go back to being an ordinary low-paid sailor. So like many other former privateers, Blackbeard decided to turn pirate. By 1716, so many former privateers had switched over to piracy that it constituted a final golden age of piracy a period of rampant pirate attacks that stretched from the 1650s to 1726. Within two years, Blackbeard would become one of the most infamous pirates of the entire era. In 1716, Blackbeard met Benjamin Hornigold in the Bahamas and joined forces with him. Like Blackbeard, Hornigold was a British privateer who embraced a life of piracy after Queen Anne's War. While serving under Hornigold, Blackbeard cultivated a terrifying appearance. He was an imposing man, and he enhanced his frightening appearance by wearing dark clothes. His long, matted black hair and beard made him look ferocious and animalistic. Over his mass of black hair, Blackbeard wore a wide-brimmed hat. Before raiding a merchant ship, he stuck fuses under the hat's brim and lit them, so it appeared as though his hair was wreathed in flame. It was a terrifying sight. Pat Croce, owner of a Florida pirate museum, explained to CNN, quote, he would be encircled by smoke and the sailors or prey on the merchant ships would see Satan coming towards them, end quote. After joining up with Hornigold in 1716, it didn't take long for Blackbeard to earn a reputation as a skilled pirate in his own right. Hornigold was impressed by Blackbeard's ferocity in battle. And in the winter of 1716, Hornigold gave Blackbeard his own sloop or warship. Equipped with six guns, the sloop was small but deadly. By the spring of 1717, Blackbeard was a bona fide pirate captain with 70 men under his command. Blackbeard and Hornigold worked in tandem to rob merchant ships. And they weren't just looking for gold and riches. As a pirate captain, it was Blackbeard's responsibility to make sure his crew always had a good time. This mandated a ready supply of tasty food and strong drink. In the spring of 1717, Hornigold and Blackbeard hijacked a Portuguese merchant ship. The pirate captains and their crew soon set to work drinking every last bottle of Madeira wine on the ship. A good time was clearly had by all. But Hornigold's and Blackbeard's partnership didn't last. By the fall of 1717, Blackbeard and the other pirates were growing frustrated with Hornigold. 
Even though Hornigold was no longer a legal privateer acting under Her Majesty's orders, he liked to behave as though he was. He refused to attack British ships and only raided French and Spanish ships. Blackbeard and the rest of the pirates were under no such patriotic delusions. They knew they were criminals, and they were tired of ignoring every British merchant ship that passed them by. Hornigold was overthrown by his crew as captain, and in September of 1717, Blackbeard set off on his own with around 150 men. Blackbeard spent the fall of 1717 raiding ships up and down the eastern seaboard. He spent some time in October off the coast of New Jersey, targeting ships passing through Delaware Bay. And perhaps while he was in New Jersey, Blackbeard hid some of his loot there. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now let's continue our story. As the weather grew colder, Blackbeard then sailed south toward the Bahamas. By November 1717, he controlled two sloops, one with eight guns and one with 12. He also had an impressive 250 pirates under his command. All Blackbeard needed now was a flagship, and it didn't take him long to find one. On November 28, 1717, the French slave ship La Concorde was sailing to Martinique with 455 Africans trapped on board. The French slaver captain soon spotted Blackbeard's two ships streaking toward him. There was little he could do to fight back against the pirates. There were only 40 crew members aboard the French slaver ship, and about half of them were recovering from dysentery. The captain surrendered as soon as Blackbeard boarded. La Concorde was quite a prize. It was over 100 feet long and weighed in at 200 tons. In comparison to his smaller sloops, this was an enormous ship. But before Blackbeard could set to work transforming the slave ship into a pirate war vessel, he needed to decide what to do with the hundreds of Africans imprisoned in the ship's hull. Blackbeard recruited a few of the Africans into his pirate crew. But he dumped the majority of them on the island of Bequé, along with the French slaver crew, a few days after seizing La Concorde in November 1717. Sadly, this enabled the French to quickly send a ship to re-enslave the Africans. As a pirate, Blackbeard believed in equality and freedom for himself and his crew, but he wasn't terribly concerned with the rights or freedoms of others. Instead, Blackbeard focused his energies on transforming his new flagship. He docked the ship and added more cannons, bringing the total number to 40. He hoisted a new flag designed to strike terror into the hearts of his enemies, a skeleton raising a glass to Satan while stabbing a bleeding heart with a long spear. Finally, he gave the ship a new name, Queen Anne's Revenge. The renovations took only a week or so. By December 1717, Blackbeard was ready to set sail. He immediately began targeting ships in the Caribbean. On December 5th, Blackbeard captured the ship Margaret near Anguilla and took Henry Bostock, the ship's sailing master or navigation expert, as his hostage. Blackbeard kept Bostock hostage for eight hours. And while they kept Bostock prisoner, 
Blackbeard's pirates bragged that they had ample amounts of gold and treasure on board the Queen Anne's Revenge. After Bostock was released, he wrote in a letter to the Antigua governor on December 19th that Blackbeard had much gold dust aboard. It certainly supports our theory that the Blackbeard's treasure was on his flagship. Bostock was also the first to elaborate on Blackbeard's physical appearance as, quote, a tall spare man with a very black beard, which he wore very long, end quote. Bostock's description was how Blackbeard finally earned his infamous nickname. In May of 1718, 38-year-old Blackbeard sailed to Charlestown, a busy port city in South Carolina. He now had his flagship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, as well as several smaller sloops. It was a strong enough fleet to blockade Charlestown and rob any ship sailing into or out of the port. Blackbeard seized and robbed at least nine ships at Charlestown. He amassed a sizable amount of treasure aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge over a period of about five days. But while he was in Charlestown, Blackbeard heard a disturbing bit of news. The British sea captain Woods Rogers was sailing from England with a hundred soldiers and three well-armed warships to retake the Bahamas and wipe out any pirates in the vicinity. Worse still, Rogers was born in 1679, a year before Blackbeard. Both Rogers and Blackbeard grew up in Bristol, and it's possible the two knew each other as children. If Rogers was aware of Blackbeard's true identity, then Blackbeard may have been desperate to avoid an encounter with him. Blackbeard wouldn't want word getting back to Bristol that he was a pirate, since this would bring shame on his family. In early June 1718, Blackbeard abandoned his blockade of Charlestown and sailed the Queen Anne's Revenge and the rest of his captured ships to Topsail Island off the coast of North Carolina. Suddenly, the Queen Anne's Revenge struck a sandbar. The impact destroyed the ship's mainmast, wrecking the ship. Blackbeard quickly transferred whatever plunder he could salvage from the Queen Anne's Revenge into the smaller sloops and made way for the mainland. Blackbeard sailed to Bath, North Carolina in June 1718. At this point, he only had one sloop left and a few crew members. In late June of 1718, he met with Governor Eden and received a pardon for all of his pirating activities. He bought a home in Plum Point and entertained the entire town with lavish parties. Even though Blackbeard had received a royal pardon, he couldn't resist the lure of piracy for long. Within two months of receiving his June pardon, Blackbeard was back to plundering merchant ships. On August 24, 1718, French Captain Jean Goupil was sailing back to Europe in command of the merchant ship Rose Emily. Traveling in tandem with the Rose Emily was a second merchant ship, La Toison d'Or, they were just about a day's sail away from Bermuda and the open Atlantic Ocean. As the sun sank over the horizon, Captain Goupil noticed a small sloop approaching the Rose Emily. It didn't seem like anything to worry about until the tiny Spanish sloop sailed right alongside the Rose Emily. A motley crew of pirates stood aboard the small Spanish ship's deck, bristling with weapons. Blackbeard was at the helm of the ship, aiming the sloop's cannons at the Rose Emily. Captain Goupil and his men scrambled to point their cannons at the sloop, 
But then, Blackbeard pulled off an amazing stunt. Instead of engaging the Rose Emily in battle, Blackbeard's sloop slipped past the merchant ship. Blackbeard sailed his sloop right over to the La Toison d'Or, catching its French crew unprepared for battle. His men swiftly boarded and seized the armed merchant ship. Blackbeard could now attack the Rose Emily with two ships, his small Spanish sloop and the larger French merchant ship. Desperate to save the lives of his crew, Captain Goupil surrendered to Blackbeard. The pirate could now sell the valuable barrels of sugar and cocoa aboard the French merchant ships and add to his ever-increasing hoard of treasure. Despite the success in August, Blackbeard's return to piracy didn't last long. Governor Eden of North Carolina was willing to look the other way after Blackbeard began attacking ships in August of 1718, possibly because the pirate was bribing him with a share of the spoils. But Governor Spotswood of Virginia was having none of it. Spotswood was tired of Blackbeard attacking merchant ships off the Virginia coast. He didn't care if Blackbeard had a pardon from Governor Eden. He wanted to get rid of the pirate once and for all. After learning that Blackbeard had a residence in Bath, North Carolina, Governor Spotswood decided to invade the town and capture him. Of course, the Virginia governor had no actual legal authority to invade North Carolina, but Spotswood was able to recruit British naval officers Captain Brand and Lieutenant Maynard to his cause. They were more than willing to help him take down the infamous pirate. The plan was for Captain Brand to lead 200 men over land towards Bath. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Maynard was ordered to sail to Blackbeard's hideout on Ocracoke Island, which is off the North Carolina coast in the Outer Banks, to capture any pirates carousing at his secret base. After Maynard captured all of the pirates at Ocracoke, he was supposed to sail to Bath to assist in the capture of Blackbeard. What Maynard and the others didn't know was that Blackbeard wasn't at his home in Bath. He was at Ocracoke. Maynard thought the Ocracoke Island would be a simple capture of a few pirate stragglers. Instead, he found himself in a naval battle against Blackbeard. Maynard set sail for Ocracoke Island on November 17th. He had two ships under his command, the Ranger and the Jane, and only 57 men. It was a small crew, but it was enough to take out the few pirates holed up at the island before rejoining the main force at Bath. Maynard and his crew arrived at Ocracoke Island on the evening of November 21st and saw one of Blackbeard's sloops docked at the island. It was dark enough out that the pirates failed to spot the arrival of the British warships. The British sailors rested in preparation for battle in the morning. Blackbeard, on the other hand, spent the evening of November 21st drinking and partying. He had no idea the British were about to attack. Maynard ordered his men awake at dawn on November the 22nd. With his men refreshed and ready for battle, Maynard's two sloops sailed towards Blackbeard's sloop, the Adventure. At 7.30 a.m., the bleary-eyed pirates finally noticed the British sloops sailing toward them. They raced to prepare for battle. As the British ships sailed uncomfortably close, Blackbeard fired a warning shot from his cannon. But Maynard was undeterred. As the ships drew closer, he unfurled his flag, the Union Jack. Now the pirates knew that the British Navy were the ones hunting them. 
Soon, the adventure and the Jane were within 300 feet of each other. It was close enough for the captains to exchange greetings. Maynard never forgot the exchange. He later wrote, quote, At our first salutation, Blackbeard drank damnation to me and my men, whom he styled cowardly puppies, saying he would never give nor take quarter, end quote. In other words, Blackbeard was taking no prisoners. This was going to be a fight to the death. And with that, Blackbeard signaled his cannons to fire at the Jane. Instead of firing one large cannonball each, Blackbeard's four cannons were filled with grapeshot, clusters of metal balls stuffed into large bags. Grapeshot was a terrifyingly effective way of mowing down large numbers of soldiers at close range. Blackbeard's cannon fire attack decimated the British troops. Nine men died on the Ranger, including all three commanding officers. Twenty men were killed on the Jane. Blackbeard and his 25-member crew cheered and sailed the adventure within boarding range of the Jane. And as they drew close, they launched another devastating attack. The pirates lobbed grenados, or primitive grenades, filled with gunpowder at the Jane. It seemed as though all was lost for Maynard. But the British lieutenant had a backup plan. Earlier that morning, he had hidden a well-armed contingent of 12 men below the decks of the Jane, which had kept them safe from Blackbeard's cannon fire. Above deck, Maynard had nothing more than a skeleton crew. Maynard wanted to use the Jane as a sort of Trojan horse. Once the pirates boarded the ship, his men could rush upstairs and ambush Blackbeard and his pirates. And with most of Maynard's men seemingly killed by cannon fire and grenades, Blackbeard and his men were eager to board the Jane. They only saw Maynard and three or four other sailors on the deck. It seemed like easy pickings. Blackbeard boarded the ship with 10 of his crew. And that's when Maynard gave the signal to his men hidden downstairs. It was Maynard and his 12 men versus Blackbeard and his 10 pirates. The battle was chaotic. Everyone used whatever weapons they had on hand, pistols, cutlasses or short swords, even bare fists. Blackbeard himself had several pistols tucked into his belt, each capable of firing only one bullet. He rushed towards Lieutenant Maynard and both men fired pistols at each other. Blackbeard was wounded, but this barely slowed him down. He attacked Maynard with his curved cutlass. The two engaged in a duel to the death. Blackbeard quickly sliced Maynard's hand open with his cutlass. As Maynard struggled to recover, Blackbeard raised his sword, ready to cut the lieutenant down. Blackbeard didn't notice Maynard's men approaching. One of the men leapt in between Blackbeard and Maynard and slashed Blackbeard's face open. The wounded pirate kept fighting, but he was now outnumbered by Maynard and his men. They stabbed the pirate 20 times with their swords and shot him five times with their pistols. But Blackbeard was still fighting. Finally, one of Maynard's men, a Scottish soldier, sunk his sword into Blackbeard's neck. Even this didn't kill the pirate. Blackbeard mocked the Scotsman and cried, Well done, lad. The Scotsman replied, If it be not well done, I'll do it better. He swung his sword and sliced off Blackbeard's head. And with that final stroke, Blackbeard died on November 22, 1718. 
And with the pirate dead, the British sailors began a hunt for Blackbeard's loot. They never found his buried treasure, and the search for Blackbeard's gold has continued for 300 years. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. And now, back to the story. Blackbeard died in a climactic battle against British forces on November 22, 1718, in the waters off Ocracoke Island. Treasure hunters have spent 300 years since his death looking for Blackbeard's buried treasure. They were likely spurred on by Captain Johnson's 1724 pirate book, a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates. In the book, Johnson recounted a conversation between Blackbeard and his crewmates. When one of the pirates asked Blackbeard where he hid his money, Blackbeard replied that only he and the devil knew where his treasure was buried. And with that, Johnson inspired generations of treasure hunters to start digging for Blackbeard's buried riches. Most of our theories about the treasure's location are focused around the last six months of Blackbeard's life. Our first theory is that Blackbeard's treasure sank to the bottom of the ocean in early June 1718, along with his flagship, the Queen Anne's Revenge. We know that Blackbeard kept at least some of his plunder aboard his ships. You may remember that Bostock, a shipmaster taken prisoner for a day on the Queen Anne's Revenge, noted that there was much gold dust aboard. And when Blackbeard finished his blockade of Charlestown in late May 1718, he had just robbed nine ships. He had plenty of loot aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge when he wrecked the flagship a few days later in June. In his hurry to transfer the treasure from Queen Anne's Revenge into the smaller sloops, was Blackbeard forced to leave a significant portion of his plunder behind? When the Queen Anne's Revenge sank to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, perhaps most of Blackbeard's treasure disappeared with the flagship. It's a viable theory, but you're assuming that Blackbeard accidentally wrecked his ships. Blackbeard had captured and refurbished the Queen Anne's Revenge just seven months earlier in November 1717. No self-respecting pirate would sink his own flagship. Blackbeard might have, especially if this enabled him to betray his own men and keep most of his treasure for himself. One reason he may have sunk his own flagship is because he wanted to go legitimate. By early June, Blackbeard knew that the British King George I was offering clemency to pirates who petitioned for a pardon by September 5, 1718. All Blackbeard had to do was surrender himself to, quote, any governor or any deputy governor of any of Britain's plantations beyond the sea, end quote. Blackbeard didn't want to be executed by the British government. But he also knew that many of his crew members were loath to abandon their criminal lifestyle. And most importantly, he had over 300 men under his command. He did not want to divide up his treasure with that many crew members. Some historians theorize that Blackbeard came up with a clever plan to keep his loot. After wrecking the Queen Anne's revenge, Blackbeard set up a base camp for his men at Beaufort, South Carolina. He encouraged the crew to drink and make merry. Then Blackbeard asked somewhere between 20 and 40 of his most trusted crewmates 
to help him move his treasure from the Queen Anne's Revenge to his smaller sloops. And with that, Blackbeard sailed off on the smaller ships with all the treasure and a skeleton crew of about 40 men. He left behind over 200 of his crew in Beaufort. Not all of the crew members who Blackbeard took with him were willing to go along with his betrayal. At least 17 men rebelled against Blackbeard after he abandoned the rest of the crew. So Blackbeard stranded the mutineers on an uninhabited island. Now, we can't know for sure if Blackbeard intentionally sank the Queen Anne's Revenge. It's possible that he smashed the Queen Anne's Revenge into a sandbar entirely by accident. The topsail inlet, now known as the Beaufort Inlet, is in the outer banks of North Carolina, an area nicknamed the Graveyard of the Atlantic because its rough waters and hidden sandbars have wrecked numerous ships. The Queen Anne's Revenge could have been just one of many, many ships to wreck in the area. According to one theory, Blackbeard was simply sailing in to do maintenance on the ship and clean the bottom of the boat. But when he tried to navigate the Queen Anne's Revenge through Topsail Inlet, he hit the sandbar. Unable to free the ruined boat, Blackbeard and the other pirates quickly abandoned ship. Blackbeard would have been in a hurry to transfer whatever loot he could off the damaged ship before it sank. But it was impossible to know for sure whether Blackbeard's treasure was left behind on the sunken ship unless someone found the wreckage of the Queen Anne's Revenge. For hundreds of years, the Queen Anne's Revenge was lost to the ocean's depths. But in 1996, there was a breakthrough. Salvagers working for the company Intersol Incorporated found a shipwreck on the ocean floor in the waters off Topsail Island. The company quickly began to suspect that they had discovered the Queen Anne's Revenge. If so, this was a thrilling and rare find. Listen to Barry Clifford, a treasure hunter, explain how it feels to discover a pirate ship. A dream come true to, you know... How did Intersol know they'd found Blackbeard's flagship? For starters, the shipwreck matched the enormous size and descriptions of the Queen Anne's Revenge. The shipwreck's location matched the alleged location of Blackbeard's shipwreck. And the artifacts on the ship were dated to 1718 or earlier, which matches the date the ship sank. Salvagers recovered hundreds of thousands of items, including a bronze ship bell dated 1709, a mortar and pestle, a copper sword guard, navigational instruments, and even scraps of books dating back to 1712. They also found 24 cannons in the shipwreck. At least four of the recovered cannons were already loaded. This ship had an abnormal number of weapons, and it was clearly manned by sailors who regularly engaged in battle. In other words, pirates. As underwater archaeologist Dr. Richard Lawrence told the New York Times in 1997, quote, I'm 90% convinced this is the ship. It all just falls into place. The date on the bell, the blunderbuss, the cannon that we've observed, the lack of any other candidate in this area. The ship is right where it should be, end quote. Dr. Jeffrey J. Crow, the director of North Carolina's Division of Archives and History, also told the New York Times that, quote, everything points to it being associated with Blackbeard, end quote. 
And 15 years after the shipwreck was discovered in 1996, the state of North Carolina officially declared it to be the Queen Anne's Revenge in 2011. But the question remains, is Blackbeard's treasure hidden somewhere in the wreck? Salvagers and marine archaeologists have in fact found gold in the wreckage of the Queen Anne's Revenge, but it's a very tiny amount. About two grams worth of tiny gold pieces were discovered, hidden in a pile of lead shot. The biggest piece of gold was only a half a centimeter long. This obviously wasn't a large enough stash to be Blackbeard's treasure. Archaeologists believe the gold may have belonged to one of the ship's original French crew members. When Blackbeard seized the ship in November of 1717, the French crew member may have stashed the gold in an ammunition barrel to hide it from Blackbeard. On the other hand, the gold may have belonged to one of Blackbeard's pirates. Perhaps he didn't have time to retrieve his share of the treasure before the ship sank. The amount of gold found so far at the wreckage is a bit underwhelming. But there's a chance that archaeologists could find more gold. The Queen Anne's Revenge was over a hundred feet long, and the shipwreck is massive. There's still plenty to explore and uncover. Unfortunately, excavation of the wreck halted in 2015. Intersol, the salvage company that found the wreckage, and the state of North Carolina have spent the last several years engaged in a lawsuit over who has the right to publish videos and photos of the Queen Anne's Revenge. As of this recording, the legal dispute is still ongoing. So although archaeologists haven't found Blackbeard's treasure yet, the loot could still be hidden in the unexplored section of the wreckage. We can only hope that excavation starts up again soon. That brings us to our second theory. Did Blackbeard hide his treasure in Bath, North Carolina? We know that Blackbeard took up residence in Bath in late June 1718, after the Queen Anne's Revenge sank. Some historians believe he marooned most of his crew in Beaufort and took all of his plunder with him to Bath. We do know that Blackbeard arrived in Bath with a hefty amount of treasure. Was it all of his treasure? We can't be sure. But it is possible that he buried some of this treasure at his home in Plum Point in the summer of 1718. And it's possible that Blackbeard kept his treasure with him on his ships. Blackbeard was known for his extravagant parties in Bath. The money to pay for those parties had to come from somewhere. He didn't have a legal job, so it only makes sense that he was using his treasure to pay for his expensive lifestyle. Blackbeard lived in Bath for the last six months of his life until his death on November 22, 1718. So he had quite a bit of time to hide his treasure. There are a couple locations near Bath where he may have hidden his loot. It's believed that Blackbeard's house was in Plum Point, an area of land that lies along the coastline of Bath Creek. No one found any treasure at Blackbeard's house in the immediate aftermath of his death on November 22nd. And today, no one knows for sure where his house actually stood. But some treasure hunters believe that the ruins of a house in Plum Point are the remains of Blackbeard's old home. They suspect that Blackbeard buried the treasure somewhere on the property. It's a reasonable theory. Blackbeard would want to keep his loot readily accessible. What better place to hide your treasure than in your own home? By 1974, treasure hunters had dug many holes around the ancient house in Plum Point. Unfortunately, they found no signs of Blackbeard's treasure. 
But there's another place in Bath where Blackbeard might have hidden his plunder. There used to be a mysterious round brick structure in a field near Bath. According to legend, this was a sort of oven that Blackbeard used to make tar to seal the seams of his ships and make them waterproof. Because of the legend, the place was dubbed Teach's Kettle. Teach's Kettle began attracting attention from tourists and treasure hunters who hoped that Blackbeard had buried his lost treasure somewhere in the field. Unfortunately, the farmer who owned the field grew tired of the sizable crowds and destroyed the kettle. And although a lot of holes have been dug in that field, no one ever uncovered any signs of Blackbeard's plunder. At this point, it seems unlikely that Blackbeard's treasure is actually in Bath. Otherwise, a treasure hunter would have found something significant over the course of 300 years. Our third theory is that Blackbeard's treasure is on North Carolina's Ocracoke Island, where his life came to a bloody end on November 22, 1718. After cutting off Blackbeard's head, British Lieutenant Maynard and his men were eager to seize whatever pirate treasure they could find. They stayed at Ocracoke until November 24th, hunting down any escaped pirates and searching for loot. Maynard searched Blackbeard's ship, the Adventurer, as well as the pirates' hideout on Ocracoke Island. According to Captain Johnson, Maynard found, quote, 25 hogsheads of sugar, 11 barrels and 145 bags of cocoa, a barrel of indigo, and a bale of cotton, end quote. It was a disappointing find. Maynard was so disgruntled over the minimal loot that he seized an additional 60 hogsheads of sugar from Governor Eden's home in Bath. Incidentally, the seizure of Governor Eden's personal property marked the beginning of a legal battle between the North Carolina governor and Virginia's Governor Spotswood that continued on even after Governor Eden's death in 1722. Maynard made $2,238 by selling the seized goods along with Blackbeard's ship, The Adventure. That's just over $85,000 in today's currency. Still, Maynard didn't find what he was looking for. It's possible he missed a cache of loot while he was searching Ocracoke Island. If not Maynard, someone else should have found Blackbeard's plunder by now. Ocracoke is only 9.6 square miles, and treasure hunters have had 300 years to search the tiny island for pirate loot. Parts of the island are less than half a mile wide. You can stand in the middle and see the ocean on both sides. There aren't that many places to dig. True, but the outer banks of North Carolina are constantly changing due to hurricanes, tides, and climate change. Areas that used to be inland are now beaches, and places that used to be underwater have become shoreline. It's possible that Blackbeard's buried treasure is now hidden underwater. Maybe, but it seems like Maynard did a fairly thorough search of Ocracoke. I don't think it's likely that Blackbeard's treasure is on Ocracoke Island. I disagree with you. It's extremely difficult to dig underwater, especially along coastlines. And the treasure even could have been buried even deeper or moved by the strong tides and shifting shorelines. Let's agree to disagree. Let's consider our fourth theory. Blackbeard's treasure is in Burlington, New Jersey. This theory may seem a bit far-fetched, This is probably because it's based more on the rumors that sprung up after Blackbeard's death than on the facts surrounding the final months of his life. 
We do know that Blackbeard spent some time in New Jersey in the fall of 1717, and it's certainly possible that he stashed some loot away before he sailed south. But this particular legend about Blackbeard's treasure didn't become widespread until the early 1800s, decades after the pirate's death. According to the legend, Blackbeard buried a treasure chest under a black walnut tree at 217 Wood Street in Burlington. He also killed a Spaniard and buried the man's body upright above the treasure chest. A much more gruesome form of X marks the spot. Definitely. This legend about the treasure chest was passed down among Burlington residents for over two generations. And in 1926, Florence Stewart, the property owner of 217 Wood Street, decided to see if there was any truth to the legends. On October 7, 1926, Florence instructed several workers to dig holes under an ancient black walnut tree on her land known amongst the townspeople as the Pirate Tree. A gaggle of school children soon gathered at 217 Wood Street, eager to assist in the dig. That very same day, the school children found a human skull in one of the dig site's holes. The kids were thrilled. If this was the Spaniard's skull, then Blackbeard's treasure must be underneath. And sure enough, the laborers found something large and heavy in the hole they had dug. Perhaps it was Blackbeard's treasure chest. Unfortunately, we'll never know for sure. Instead of handing the finding over to Florence, the workers quit, and they took the mysterious object with them. Maybe the workers did find Blackbeard's treasure and decided to keep it for themselves. Florence evidently feared that her workers were stealing from her. She kicked all of the volunteers out of her yard and asked the police to protect her property until she could hire new workers and come over herself to supervise the dig. The school kids were disappointed to be kicked off of Florence's property, but this wasn't going to deter them from digging for treasure. On October 8, 1926, they began digging holes in the yard of Florence's neighbor, Anna Pugh. They had only dug a few feet before they found more bones. The kids were elated. This must be the bones of the dead Spaniard. Unfortunately, a veterinarian determined that the kids had merely uncovered a collection of cow bones. It turned out they were digging on the site of a former tannery. But that doesn't explain the human skull found at 217 Wood Street. A New York Times reporter covering the excavation pointed out a possible explanation. He wrote, quote, It is recalled also against the theory that the skull found on Miss Stewart's property is a relic of the pirate days, that many Indians have been buried in that section, end quote. In other words, the Burlington townspeople eagerly digging for pirate treasure were probably desecrating a Native American graveyard. So there's a small possibility that Florence Stewart's initial group of workers found Blackbeard's treasure chest and stole it before quitting. But it seems more likely that they actually found a valuable Native American relic and stole it from the ancient graveyard. Of all our theories, I think the idea that Blackbeard's treasure is in New Jersey is the least likely to be true. I agree. It's grounded in legend and not the actual events of Blackbeard's life. And there's no clear reason why Blackbeard would leave a treasure chest behind in New Jersey in 1717 before sailing south. Our final theory is that there's no treasure to be found. 
and Blackbeard spent most of his riches before he died. This would explain why Lieutenant Maynard and the other British soldiers were unable to find any valuable loot when they searched Ocracoke Island and Blackbeard's house in Bath after his death on November 22, 1718. The first person to even claim that Blackbeard had buried treasure was Captain Johnson, and many historians believe the author exaggerated or outright fictionalized many of the tales in his pirate book. It's also significant that no one has been able to find buried treasure at any location connected to Blackbeard in over 300 years. According to Angus Costum, author of Blackbeard, the world's most notorious pirate, quote, it is highly unlikely that Blackbeard ever buried a cache of money as he had no reason to. Even if he had, the stash would have been a small one bearing no resemblance to the buried treasure of pirate fiction. Without any evidence to the contrary, we have to write off the treasure story as just another Blackbeard myth." End quote. Unfortunately, our last theory is the most likely to be accurate. Though it's possible some treasure has been lost forever in the shifting sands around Ocracoke, most likely Blackbeard didn't bury his treasure before he died. Blackbeard may not have left behind any buried gold, but he left us another kind of treasure the wreckage of the Queen Anne's Revenge. So far, archaeologists have recovered over 300,000 artifacts, including cannons, medical equipment, scraps of reading material, and even a tiny amount of gold. As we celebrate the 300th year since the sinking of the Queen Anne's Revenge, we look forward to uncovering the remaining secrets hidden in the wreckage of Blackbeard's flagship. Thanks for tuning in to Gone. If you like the show, you can subscribe for more episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. While you're there, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. You can tell us your theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, or at Parcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found. Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Gone is written by Jeanette Manning, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>